Hey, Kevin. Hey, Will. Did you know this podcast is sponsored by Shortboxed? You mean the easiest and safest way to buy and sell graded comic books? Yes, they are trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. Huh, never heard of them. Wow, really sounded like you had. No, I haven't, uh, but I'll check them out, definitely. Great. Screw it, screw it, we're just going Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. The only podcast where two brothers talk about something they love, and that something is comic books. Yes, everybody, when I said comics, I meant comic books. I'm one of the two brothers slash uh, host slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. I'm the other one of those, Will Hines. Yeah, there's two of us. Mm -hmm. Kevin's East Coast, New Jersey. I'm West Coast, California. Um, and, uh, it's a, we haven't recorded for like, uh, a month. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been abroad. I was in Edinburgh and Liverpool. And so we had pre-recorded a bunch. Um, and in that time, Will, we've had, I think two errors in our releases. Yes. We had a week where we, the daredevil episode was released three weeks early or something, something like three weeks early. We've, as of this recording, we've just released it again. And yes. some people are like, didn't you release this already? Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know. This is no way to make this not confusing at this point. Right, right, right. I kind of like it. It fits our style. Uh, and then we also had an episode where um, the, did the commercial overlap with the audio? Is that what happened? Mm -hmm. um, I do the editing of these and I somehow <laughs> bumped a section of it back like something like 30 seconds so that it overlapped with the previous stuff. Um, and it made pretty, people think they were pretty professional. People thought they were going crazy listening to that. Again, yeah. we pretty quickly, I mean, both these mistakes were fixed pretty quickly, but people just download our, our podcast is downloaded the moment it drops. That's right. People are listening to it. Hot it's, off like, the presses. it's like when a new, uh, Marvel TV show or Disney star Wars TV show launches and people get up like at 4am to watch it. That's what yeah. our podcast is for people. <laughs> so those mistakes are caught and then we don't get up. Yeah. Until later. And then like uh, our producers are out on the West coast, I think. So like yes. getting it fixed takes even a few more hours. Um, but I, we can't help it. People want to listen to our podcast at 4am. Releasing the Daredevil one early is less bad because it was the episode that we wanted. It just came out a little early. The, right. the bad it, yeah. audio, I feel bad because somebody gets to it and they're like, uh, they probably don't even re-listen to the rest of it then. And I, I feel bad about that. The only reason the Daredevil one is bad is because we've re we had to release it again so now it's like for some people there's a dead week yeah um but they got they got two that one week they got a bonus one that week yeah people are greedy yeah especially the guy i'm thinking about <laughs> <laughs> there's one person in particular i know he knows who he is real greedy okay i don't know who um, it is but all right I, i'm making it up so you wouldn't know him okay. um but this is not a regular episode this is our mutants and mailbags this is our less regular thing that we do every other week through mostly. all seasons. So it's mostly what our podcast is. Our irregular, semi-regular, super popular Mutants and Mailbags episode where we cover a few issues of Chris Claremont's X-Men and mm -hmm. answer emails from our listening audience. And today we're going to go over the Uncanny X-Men annual number six where they fight Dracula and then issues 171, 172, 173, mm -hmm. where there is... Um, uh, we got Wolverine's wedding mm -hmm. um, and 
something else at the start of it that I forget. Oh, the end of the Morlocks. So we have like a setup issue. There. We don't have it. We have Rogue showing up. Yeah. Um. And uh. Yeah, I forget. The, I forget what the other issues about already. Uh, when we flip to the cover, I'll remember. Yeah. Right. Uh, Walt Simonson drew it. And uh, oh, Morlocks. Yeah, the end of the Morlocks. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's stuff going on with the storm and all these issues. Storm is a major character. I mean, obviously she's a major character, but reading these four issues, it almost felt like she was the lead character and everybody else is her supporting cast. Almost like storm and the X's. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, what did you think of these issues? Well, I'm enjoying them. Um, Paul, I, I, we have, we are reading four issues today. Two of them are by Paul Smith. When Paul Smith draws, I think the quality of everything goes up a ton. Um, so I prefer his two issues. I've sort of just become accustomed to what I think I'm I'm getting ready to say is the Chris Claremont uncanny X-Men norm, which is like so many plots going on that I sort of can't keep track. Sloppy cause and effect, not even sloppy, but like reckless cause and effect. So I don't always know why something's happening, but like kind of warm and rich character moments between people. Um, I think that's kind of the general vibe. Oh, yeah, and also like international settings. Like they're they're a pretty globe-trotting bunch. So I do like it. It is frustrating sometimes to keep track of what's going on. Um, yeah, I, I'm uh, enjoying it. What did you think? Uh, I enjoyed the, these issues not quite as much as the last batch, but significantly more than the brood year. My only um, complaint was there weren't any brood. Um and yeah, uh, similarly, I'm confused by stuff. I think some of that is because the line has expanded and there's a number of times where it's just like, oh, this was referenced in New Mutants or this was referenced in the Wolverine miniseries or this was referenced in an Avengers annual. Um, and, and weirdly, instead of like setting it up beforehand, being like, you don't want to miss this Avengers annual. It's like, if you missed it, too late. And it doesn't really hold your hand much to catch you up on that stuff. Like all the Carol Danvers stuff comes from an Avengers annual and earlier rogue stuff comes from other stories. Yeah. That we haven't read. Uh, there's, there's, I think, I don't know how much of the Wolverine two-parter involves characters that maybe weren't introduced in that Wolverine miniseries that I've never read. Yeah. It feels like they all were, but I don't know. Yeah. And so it's like, I'm reading it. I'm like, am I supposed to know who these people are? Uh, or am I supposed to just figure it out? And I don't know, and it, and it gives me that feeling, which is a is sort of a drag. I, and I wish there was a, <laughs> I basically wish my hand was held a little bit more with like introducing these characters. Uh, but overall, it's really fun. I also had this weird thought reading it that um, uh, uh, I'm glad this was during the era of uh, thought balloons, because there's a lot of times where characters have like like really cool thoughts about each other mm. that. Um, would be harder to do now because people just don't write thought balloons. Just like where Wolverine is like a storm's going through something, but I'm just going to let her deal with it. Yeah. Like he wouldn't say that out loud because it doesn't make any sense to say that to somebody. Right. Um, but he's able to think it and you get that sort of idea out there without um, having like everybody have their own captions on a page. So there's certain stuff like that, that I think plays the Claremont's strength. Um, yeah. But first, we have a, another Dracula issue. You were psyched for that, right? You were like, "Good." What I what I like is Dracula. I will say I prefer this Dracula story to the other Dracula story. Okay, what do you th- why do you think that is? I don't know. <laughs> uh, the other one was maybe too rushed. 
Yeah, it just felt like so insane. I don't love this story. I still wish it wasn't Dracula. I mean, it's very weird when like on the first couple pages, they reference the book of Dracula. Yeah. It's like, which is real. <laughs> yeah. It, it Dracula showed up in Buffy the Vampire Slayer too, and it bothered me there too. And that was a show about vampires. <laughs> but I was just sort of like, ah, it's weird that Dracula is real. Yeah. And Buffy. Like, I can't have both of them be real. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I just think Dracula needs to be in his own universe, which obviously exists in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen universe. Um, I, I will say I did enjoy, I mean, this is what I, it's an annual, right? It's the X-Men yeah. annual. And so I, I remember annuals being this, where they're sort of like both epic, but also kind of walled off in a way where they don't affect the main continuity. And so sometimes the title can take a strange diversion um, and your brain kind of compartmentalizes it away from the regular story. Maybe that's why this is a little bit more enjoyable than when Dracula was just in a regular issue. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, every issue of the X-Men, I don't a hundred percent understand why they win on some moments and lose at others. In the Dracula issue here, I just lost track of what it means to be bitten by Dracula. That se There seemed to be different levels of intensity depending on what the story needs, some quite temporary, some fully permanent. And so yeah, it's hard to get invested in that. I didn't know what any of it meant. The, the magic of Dracula was very confusing. Also, like they introduced this Van Helsing character who's maybe appeared in Marvel Comics. I don't know, but she sort of shows up and becomes like a, a th enthrall to Dracula and is like a major part of the resolution. And I'm like, I don't even know who this character is. Yeah. I wonder um, if she's part of the, the Dracula comic series. Yeah, maybe. But that's, I guess this is also what I mean with like, I'd like a little hand holding. Like does, is this a Marvel character or is this I mean, just Van, referencing Van, yeah, Helsing Van Helsing is not is, right. That's, right. that's part of the Dracula mythos. And this is a descendant of Van Helsing, but, but the professor at Bard college aspect of her um, yeah is very it, weird oh i mean there's also dracula's daughter which i gotta assume she pre-exists but i don't know that yeah the main thing we get here is the main story hey, well one other thing yeah. if you're dracula and like you spend most of your time in books and stuff fighting like van helsing and stuff like yeah you know guys with wooden stakes uh, uh maybe a torch no no electricity and then you have to fight the x-men that's crazy. That's gonna be tough. That's gotta be tough. Like, you gotta be Dracula being like, oh man, this stinks. <laughs> Normally I fight just a couple idiots. Now I gotta have be blasted with optic force beams. <laughs> this guy heals instantly. Come on. <laughs> he rolls with it pretty easily. Yeah, he still seems confident in it, but I don't I wouldn't be. His experience is not up against a team of the level of the X-Men. Maybe um being disintegrated at the minute you touch sunlight really like humble you know keeps you on your toes uh, yeah he's pretty confident for a guy who's got like eight different weaknesses pretty big ones yeah anyway uh yeah so this story is uh it's mostly about kitty pride's parents being divorced <laughs> no uh that does happen uh it's mostly dracula like calls storm to help him retrieve the dark hold which is a book that can destroy dracula uh, and then kitty pride is possessed by dracula's daughter in Lilith, an effort yeah. to kill Dracula. Yes. That's that's a pretty good summary. Thank you. 
And it's a lot of like people finding out, oh, Kitty's been possessed this whole time. And wait, Storm isn't possessed and yet does have some psychic connection, stuff like that. And like um, Wolverine gets bitten at one point and turned into a slave of Dracula for a couple of panels. So does Colossus. No, Colossus is a slave of Lilith. Right. And Lilith seems to both be possessing Kitty, but also maybe just transforming into Kitty. That part was sort of unclear to me. It's drawn by Bill Sinkevitz. And yeah. he's he's starting to get a little bit more abstract. Some pages are good. Some pages are less good. The cover's great. Cover's great. Um, he's not far off from his fully abstract mode. I'm excited to, to run into it. Yeah, and then at the very end, Lilith like whispers in Storm's ear, you're cured again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just... Just everything's back to the way it was before the annual. Can I mean, at this point, Storm has really gone through the ringer, like with magical creatures and space whales and and what have you. She just Her gets best possessed friend by everything. Dark Phoenix God. Yeah, uh, I mean, overall, I, this story worked a little better, as I said, pacing wise. Yeah, and the rules felt a little. I mean, they're still insane and don't make any sense, but. They didn't make any sense to me in the previous issue here. They're at least said, here's a rule. And then they follow that rule. And then they just, you know, they're at least declaring these rules as opposed to like, just, they're just sort of happening. And uh, Dracula dies at the end, sort of like he doesn't get beheaded. So he's not dead, dead, dead. He didn't get his true death. He got like two deaths, but he needs a third death to really be out and and out and about. Right. So he's still in the mix. Uh, I I don't don't really have any other thoughts on that issue. Do you? I don't. Let's keep, let's get into the, to the regular stuff. Okay. Issue 171. So Storm has just defeated the Callisto, leader of the Morlocks. And so she is now their leader. So Storm, last issue, defeated the Morlocks in like combat by stabbing Callisto. Um, and now she's taking charge of the, the, the team. Basically what happens in this issue, well, like you said it, Kevin, Rogue joins. But also, this is one of those kind of like setup issues. We sort of revisit a lot of the stories and just kind of see where we're at. And I I don't feel like we're in the middle of an adventure here too much. It does have like the famous uh, thing written on the cover. Welcome to the X-Men Rogue. Hope you survived the experience. Right. That's like a thing they homage a lot. Oh, I didn't know that. That's I. Is this the first time that's been used? Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. So once yeah. again, the well-researched screw it. <laughs> mechanism. I'm not 100% sure. This is the, I used to always think it was the thing said about Kitty Pride, but it, it's not, a, now that we've read those issues of her being introduced, it was not said then. Yeah. So this is the first time I'm acknowledging it, but it is sort of like, this is a thing that I hear homaged and referenced in comic books a lot. Hope you survive the experience. Rogue is a pretty great character and she's pretty great right away. Ah, I love Rogue. Um, I wish she didn't have her prehistory out of the X-Men comics. Because I've never read those issues. And I, I'm sure they're good. People have emailed us telling us to read those issues, but it's sort of just like she's a member of the Brotherhood that fought not the X-Men, I guess. Okay. She's, her power set is so cool. I kind of wish I'd seen her more than once before. I feel like we've only seen her once. Yeah, she had like two issues when they were at the Pentagon or whatever. Yeah. Her powers are, are yeah, they're cool. I mean, like the the famous power of her touching skin and stealing somebody's abilities and memories, but then also having some Ms. Marvel powers mixed in there. She's really formidable. She's super formidable. And like, it's a really, I mean, it's a great hook that she can't t- physically touch people. It's also a great hook that like 
Miss Marvel bonding with Miss Marvel, like messed her up. Yeah. She wouldn't, she doesn't even like, it's a blessing and a curse. Like she's yeah. blessed with these great powers, but her, she doesn't know which part of her personality is her own. Uh, and she shows up to the X-Men and basically asks for help. And professor X wants to give it to her and the rest of the X-Men don't because she's a villain. But professor X is like, Hey, you know, any mutant that wants my help, I'm going to give it to them. Another Interesting things. So Professor X is quite magnanimous in this issue. And he's like, he's like very good guy. Yeah, but we've, we've seen him be like, not such a good guy, right? Like we see him be kind of like power, like kind of filled with ego. We've seen him yes. sort of like be strict with Kitty for no reason. Yes. Uh, also, he's, he's mostly just abandoned a, the X-Men a lot whenever he's bored. Kind he's of. mostly a jerk to the X-Men, but like, He's very eager to add to the X-Men. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, let's end the X-Men. She might not want to be on the team if she knows what it was like for everybody. Before I read these issues, I always had imagined Professor X sort of like, uh, maybe it's because Patrick Stewart plays him in the movies, like yeah. sort of a Picard, like this benevolent, decent, yeah, me too. Fair, fair and just leader. And reading this, it's like, not really. Like Cyclops is that. I think yeah, Cyclops I, is fair and just. And, I would picture Professor X to be like calm and like, and clear or voice and of fair, reason. yeah, lot maybe overly logical, yeah. But at the uh, same time, but but not like um, but yeah, but willing to listen to reason and and like you know putting Kitty on the New Mutants is logical, but he sort of did it in a in a jerkish way. Yeah, but so in this issue, when he's welcoming to Rogue, it's like, oh, this is the Professor X that I sort of always imagined he would be. Yeah. Um, sort of charitable and compassionate and forgiving. But if I was the X-Men, it'd be like, hey, you can't like jerk <laughs> us around and then just add somebody to the team who tried to kill us last time we saw her. Uh, we also have a subplot in this issue with Madeline Pryor. A um, very confusing character. Who reveals that she was in a plane crash the same day. And we find out later the same moment that Jean Grey was in a plane accident that led to her death and the birth of Phoenix. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Somehow Madeline Pryor is linked cosmically to Jean Grey. Yeah. She's um, a very confusing character. I think in the in the the search for ways to bring Jean Grey back, lots of just confusing methods are t- like the death of Jean Grey, which was such a great story, has the repercussions of it like mess up this comic every now and then. I think Madeline Pryor is sort of a mess up. It makes sense that Chris Claremont would be attracted to of all the ways to bring uh, Phoenix back. Let's do the one that requires the most explanation and yet is really unexplainable and yeah. is confusing every single time it happens. That's, I think Claremont's like, that's the one. I mean, they have an orb of her memories. <laughs> Just like, I don't know, have that break open. <laughs> yeah. It seems so easy. Uh, and then like Phoenix energy reconstitutes Jean Grey, but you know, and, I don't that, know. And, and it's used up. So now right. she's back, but it, the energy's gone. Right. There you go. We'd solve this in like a panel. <laughs> you know, Nightcrawler accidentally hits it with his tail. It falls off the mantle. It breaks open. Jean Grey's back. And gut. And Cyclops is like, ooh, I shouldn't be with this, you know, boat captain that I've been seeing. But instead um, he goes to Alaska to work at his grandfather's factory and falls in love with a clone? Clone-ish of, of Jean. Clone-ish, yeah. Now we also we also visit Captain Marvel. Sorry, Carol Danvers, formerly Ms. Marvel, now binary. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's visiting her parents. She's got, she is super powered again. Yes. Uh, we also see Professor X is trying to rehabilitate his legs, which are physically okay, but psychosomatically he can't use them. 
Hey, uh, Professor X is ripped. Professor X is jacked. Yeah. Uh, is this uh, this is Simonson's issue, right? Yeah. Simonson's got to drive everybody like they're in Asgard. We also get a little bit with Ileana, who accidentally creates a danger room based on Limbo, where she lived for eight years. Yeah, that was confusing. So she accidentally yeah, created a hologram simulation that even surprised her when she yeah. revealed it. I don't know how you program these danger rooms, but they're apparently something you can kind of do with your subconscious. So, uh, And then she like summons a soul sword, I think, for the first time and attacks Kitty, who yeah, I guess they're best friends now. I get why Ileana would think Kitty's her best friend. Kitty's known this age Ileana for not that long. <laughs> um, um, but people become best friends in a panel or two in the X-Men. It's also who do you forgive and who don't you forgive? So she slices at Kitty with a soul sword. Cuts her cheek and then Kitty forgives her instantly. Yeah, but they really hate Rogue. Um, <laughs> Man, they hate Rogue. I, I was, I kind of was like Professor X was being too nice by letting her on the X Men, but the X Men are being too angry. Also, like that didn't yeah. make sense to me either. I, I guess mean, I just want a comic where everybody's reasonable all the time and nobody ever is emotional. Is there is that a good comic idea? Well, I mean, I think nowadays with a comic like this, you'd have the X Men be mad but not too mad. Professor X reasonable. You know, like you just you'd shave off the edges for this. It would feel more real. Like it's good for them to be mad, but they are like, if she's in, I quit every single one of them. And then, you know, Professor X is like, well, she's joining. And they're all like, okay. (laughs) it's hard to go between those two emotions to be like, never in a million years. I insist. You got me, Professor X. Rogue shows up to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Then Carol Danvers shows up because I don't know why. But when she sees that Rogue is there, she gives Rogue an uppercut that sends her into space. Yeah, I love those two panels. Rogue gets punched through the roof with such force that only Walt Simonson could draw it. Yeah. Uh, and then she like turns around just before she gets to the moon, basically. Uh, and, you know, she's okay. She seems pretty chill. My goodness, she says. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then she comes back to hit Binary again, but Binary just hits her again. <laughs> A rogue like loses this fight pretty solidly. And then binary flies away being like, I don't want to be on the, I'm not an X-Men. So I don't have to put up with being on a team with rogue. And if binary is an X-Men adding rogue to the team is a bigger deal. Yeah. Because uh, rogue stole her powers and memories. Yeah. Like she was saying earlier in this issue, she is missing some of the love for her parents because of this. Yeah. So that's a bigger deal. And Carol Danvers is a hothead, so I get it. I mean, it'd still be nice if Carol Danvers could turn the other cheek, but it's not the greatest thing to ask her to do that. makes sense that she wants to punch her into space. And we also get a little subplot with Storm worrying that she's changing. Right. Something's going on with Storm. She's getting angrier. Her powers are slowly getting out of control. People are noticing that her temperament is changing. Yeah, she was willing to risk killing a Morlock, and she's anti-death. Like, she didn't want to kill vampires in the annual. Uh, but she's willing to kill this Morlock. Uh, she's furious about Rogue. Her powers are hard to control. And she's like, what's happening to me? What am I becoming? And we don't get an answer for that in no these answer. issues we're reading today. No answer. Um, shall we move on to 172? Let's keep moving. So 172 is really... 172 and 173 I really loved. Um, this is the w- wedding of Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the X-Men have come to Japan for Wolverine to marry Mariko. Yeah. And like like Kevin was saying before, it seems like the Wolverine miniseries has taken place, which Kevin and I have not read. So there's all these characters in Japan. We're not really fans of Frank Miller, who was involved in that. 
or Chris Claremont or yeah. Wolverine. Yeah. There's no reason for us to read it. Yeah. It doesn't really fit into anything we've covered on the show. You know, and also Marvel comics of that era, you know, early to mid eighties. That's not really our jam. Not our thing. Not our thing. Um, So we haven't read it, but like, so we're kind of dropped into the middle of a, of a drama that involves Mariko's uh, kind of mafia, Japanese mafia bought dad. Mm-hmm. Who's and dead? Who's dead because of Wolverine. Who You know, he was very corrupt and a bad guy or whatever. Wolverine has defeated him. And now the X-Men have gone to Japan to witness this wedding. But Kevin, there's all kinds of problems that happen. Yeah. And I only understand some of them. Me too. And some of these characters also, like I, what I'm piecing together from these issues is mostly what I saw in the movie, The Wolverine. I never saw that. Uh, it's good. Is that should... is that James Mangold? Is he the same guy directed Logan? Yeah, yeah, I've it's not it as good. good as Logan, but it's really good. But everything I know about this issue, I think mostly comes from like me saying, "Well, someone read this and then wrote that script." So <laughs> you're going kind of backwards. Yeah. Well, I also know they probably made changes for the Wolverine, but I, I have no I have no other basis for these characters. Well, here's my attempt to summarize it. Not having seen the Wolverine movie, not having mm-hmm. read the Frank Miller, Chris Claremont miniseries, it's like there's Mariko's dad was killed probably by Wolverine. She is now the head of the clan, but she has a half-brother who thinks he should be the head of the clan, but he has somehow disgraced himself because of bad behavior. He is a silver samurai. Mm-hmm. He has a superhero identity called silver samurai, but he works for somebody named Viper. I don't know why Viper is involved, but Viper also wants power and is bad. And seems to have a teleporting ring, which I don't Some, think is mentioned until the very end of these two issues. Yeah. She uses her teleporting ring sometimes. And then there's also a sort of crazy, reckless, good guy, Ronin character Named Yuriko, I think. Um, Yukio, I think. Oh, Yukio, sorry. And um, I think who, I'm not 100. Who is kind of defending Mariko, but is also kind of a thrill seeker. Um, Yukio is very capable and powerful, but also seems kind of unreliable because she just sort of likes doing fun stuff. In the movie, I believe Yukio was Mariko's younger sister. Okay. But Maybe there's no there's no rev, there's no reference to that in these comics. Okay. So that that's all. So there's this drama of like Mariko having to defeat her evil half brother who wants to run the crime family that Mariko inherited when Wolverine killed her dad. Right. But and you know, honestly, here's what I'm going to say. He should get to run the crime family. He's a criminal. Yeah, she's a good person. She shouldn't be running a crime family. She's yeah. going to run a crime family and make them good. That's a bad use of a crime family. He's got a pretty good argument. Uh, you know, if you look at it that way. Um, there's, there's the, the other, uh, one of the parts of these issues I really liked was rogue again, rogue has traveled to the wedding, but the X-Men are super suspicious of her. And over the course of these two issues, she kind of like makes the case that she deserves their trust. Yeah. And it that's, is, that's kind of really cool. I love that the, story. I love the rogue stuff though. It is weird to bring her to a wedding. It's not like they're going on an X-Men mission. Yeah. So she's not invited. She's not friends with Wolverine. Professor X didn't see, did he come to this wedding? I don't think so. So she should be with the guy who's helping her. <laughs> but Professor anyway, she never travels her. with the X-Men. He can't, he's oh, the only place he goes is to space to date Lalandra. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I do love the rogue stuff here. I don't quite understand why she was invited to go along to this wedding, 
but I'm glad she's there. Um, she's super cool. Yeah. Just seeing everybody mistrust her, her kind of dealing with everybody, not liking her and then risking her life to save Wolverine and earning his trust. He risks his life to save hers. Right. Yeah. I'm jumping around, but, um, it's a really moving story. I also want to say the Paul Smith art is really great. Like there's a lot of just like, I know it's a cliche, but whenever there's like a wedding issue and you get like the shot, a wedding movie, there's like the shot of the bride arriving. It's supposed to be like a big moment. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of moments of Mariko kind of just taking center stage here. And she, it always is very striking and beautiful and moving. Like she's, yeah. she's effectively presented as a very like regal like impressive person. He and just I, moves, I think it's Paul's art. I mean, he just moves the camera well. Even if we just look at these first few pages, like in depth a little bit, like it starts with this shot of the city. Um, then we kind of zoom in, getting closer and closer. Then we have like, and then putting down their suitcases and being greeted by Wolverine. It's a great establishing shot. And he's in a Japanese robe. So we can, you know, we see that he's already been here. Uh, the, the panels get like smaller and smaller as everybody's sort of greeting Wolverine. It sort of gives like the feel of like everyone's hugging each other and moving around. And then there's like a big panel of Mariko entering. Like she's got everyone's attention for a second. And then there's an equally big panel of like Rogue entering. That's just as cool because she's yes. also getting everyone's attention. Like all that stuff just moves your eyes really awesomely through this comic then mariko is kind to rogue which will make a big difference later in the story she's like you're welcome here Mm -hmm. uh the x-men are not showing rogue any kindness but mariko does and then we um cut to uh yukio attacking the silver samurai who was like spying on this yes wolverine hears this and he and nightcrawler go out there to deal with it uh and storm as well they fight for a little bit but like the silver samurai like runs off. He teleports away. Does he teleport away? Yeah. He vanishes. I mean, that seems like a handy ability. They waited a while to use it. Like Wolverine's uh, clawing away at him and he vanishes like underneath him. If you're a nightcrawler and you find out there's a such thing as a teleporting ring, do you feel like that's a drag? Yeah. it's It's a bummer. It's a, you know, that's your thing. Yeah. Everyone on the team now should just wear teleporting rings. Nightcrawler should like retire. (laughs) <laughs> we've replaced you with a ring now you know go back to germany you freak <laughs> they really turn on in my version of the comic storm kind of teams up with yukio in this mm-hmm. and storm is losing control of her powers but Yukio's kind of i'm not scared of death i'm happy all the time i'm thrilled to have adventures kind of inspires storm to maybe be less stressed about her situation yeah, I mean, this whole sequence is sort of weird, right? Viper knocks out a maid and takes the maid's place to drug the X-Men, right? Yes. While this is happening, like Storm leaves without us knowing? Well, Wolverine knocks the poison out of Storm's hand and saves her from that. Okay. But then Storm leaves the X-Men. With no explanation. Somehow Storm gets into the limo. That is being driven by Yukio and has Mariko in the back seat. Yeah, and she stows away to help Yukio. I, th- well, I think she's the only one conscious. Right. I just how all that sort of plays out is it, very confusing. Not, to- it's not shown in a clear way. Like, yeah, we we don't feel like we are brought along for all those steps. I mean, I guess somehow the X Men are brought to the hospital because that must happen. But anyway, uh, but Storm, yeah, goes along for the ride with Yukio, who switches places with Mariko. Because Mariko is going to meet with a silver samurai and negotiate. 
but it's Yukio dressed up as Mariko who then attacks. Um, and then like, while this is going on, Viper is going to the car to kill Mariko, but it's Storm in the car. Right. And it's somewhere in here. Her lightning power goes nuts. Yeah. She like zaps herself somehow. Oh no, she's like zapping too much. So she pulls it back into herself and burns herself a little bit. Viper and Silver Samurai get like temporarily knocked off a building. And then there's like a Phoenix fire explosion. Yeah, I don't understand that Phoenix fire explosion. I'm not sure. I don't think it pays off at all in these comics, but it sort of implies like that Storm has got some Phoenixy thing going on. Yeah, it's even more confusing than Madeline Pryor just sort of existing. Up, It'd be different if like Madeline Pryor had Phoenix fire around her. We would almost sort of expect that to happen. Right. I mean, it could just be that Storm is, you know, seeing something that's not there because of her traumatic life. But it, that is rarely the answer in comic books. Or that she's manifesting Phoenix-like shapes because she misses her best friend, Jean Grey. Yeah. And I don't, again, it's a Claremont thing. So there's no guarantee that this will be ever explained, but right. maybe it, maybe it is. Yeah. Um, anyways, then Wolverine and Ro- Wolverine decides to go after the silver samurai and rogue wants to go with her because they're the only two that are on their feet after storm being burned and the X-Men being poisoned. Right. Go with him. Yes. And Wolverine says, okay, as long as you follow my orders. And so we end this issue with Wolverine and rogue going after silver samurai. Yeah. Next issue's got a great cover of Wolverine charging, uh, like charging us, the reader, with Rogue following him. It's really fun. This issue is excellent. Yeah. Again, it doesn't completely make sense to me because these characters are sort of cipherish, but it's really fun anyway. I mean, Wolverine is just a great character in the sense that he, the way he plays off of everybody is always fun. Like pair somebody with Wolverine, it's almost always like a fun pairing. Yeah. And Rogue is fun too. Yeah, but I, I was saying like it brings out a really cool side of Rogue where I don't know if you paired Rogue and Cyclops, if you'd get that. That's true, yeah. Same cool, or even Rogue and Nightcrawler. Maybe, uh, I'm just picking names at hand, but like Wolverine and Nightcrawler seems cool. Wolverine and Rogue is cool. Wolverine and Cyclops is cool. There's a, there's a really cool fight sequence when Wolverine finally confronts the Silver Samurai. Yes. Uh, thank, he and Rogue work together to kind of penetrate the defenses and they get to the Silver Samurai. And then there's like just this... No sound effects, no dialogue, like three pages of art. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like with this red background. Kind of reminds me, This is, I'm sure this wasn't on purpose, but of The Last Jedi, when Rey and Kylo Ren have are fighting against some sort of Imperial Guard, there's a bright red background and like the two of them face off. It, I don't know. It kind of looks like it. Uh, it reminds me of later comics that like Walt Simonson did a great Dark Side Orion issue where they fought for 20 pages. That sort of felt like this, um, an extended version of this. And uh, Black Panther by Christopher Priest did uh, a fight with Killmonger and Black Panther. That sort of reminded me of this. Okay. And I don't know okay. if they were homaging this or thinking of this or just sort of channeling the just, same sort of influence. Yeah, probably independent thinking, but it does look great. Earlier than that fight, it's like Rogue is sort of along for the ride. Wolverine's trying, kind of protecting her, even though she's like indestructible. Just like be careful, just because you're indestructible, still be careful. Sort of the lesson for her. Yeah, uh, she's sort of careless with her amazing powers. Yeah, at one point she almost kisses Wolverine. Just yeah, when they're kind of sneaking along in the darkness and being quiet, she seems to almost mischievously kiss him to temporarily steal his powers, just as a prank. Yeah. Uh, which he gets mad about. 
uh, which he's right to be mad about that. It's a weird prank to make as the former evil mutant that's on this team on very thin ice. While you're in the middle of uh, like breaking into an evil headquarters type of thing. Anyway, after this Silver Samurai Wolverine fight, Wolverine's won, but before he can deliver like the killing blow, Mariko stops him because it's still her half-brother and he doesn't want him to die. Wolverine's like, I should kill him. And Viper then pulls out some sort of blast gun and shoots Wolverine and Rogue flies in at the last second and takes the hit. Saving Wolverine's life, we can assume, or at least protecting him. Yeah, because at this point, Wolverine was, he had his healing factor, but it wasn't as insanely fast yeah he doesn't always heal from everything and he's still like recovering from the poison or or so we're told so he's a little slower so who knows maybe it'd be even harder for him to heal but she takes the hit and it seems like it might kill her and she's really funny about it like the aftermath of it um she says gee wolvie guess i'm not as invulnerable as i thought (laughs) she's like dying in his arms yeah uh, so much for my brilliant career and my, I think my life. <laughs> yeah. She's fun, right? Like she's just yeah. a really fun character. And then Wolverine's going to kiss her to let her steal his healing factor. Right. And she's worried that if he loses that, he'll die from the poison that's still in his system. Though I don't think there's much chance of that. So anyway, they, they live. Spoiler it's a pretty alert. cool way to show that now Wolverine trusts Rogue. She saved his life, and um, yeah, it's, well, and she saved Mariko's life, even more importantly. Yeah. Uh, and she's loyal to Mariko because Mariko showed her that kindness last, uh, last issue. Um, it's really neat. It's really satisfying. I mean, it's yeah, um, it's cool. I don't, I don't fully understand the Viper, Silver Samurai, Yukio yes. interactions. Like, I don't, I don't quite understand what any of them are doing or, it, or it the motivations like a, are. Yeah. But. It feels like a lot of Claremont stories that we've read. There's like one too many characters. It's like, do we need Yukio if we have the X-Men, you know, if for the story? Mm-hmm. Do we need both Viper and Silver Samurai? Why does it have to be two of those people? Like, there just yeah. needs to be redundant role, redundant people for a role in the story. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of the Deathbird and the Brood and like, you know, like trying to do this coup. It was like, I don't follow any of this. It's Brood aliens. Isn't that enough? Yeah, like the the Brotherhood of um or the Hellfire Club, they have like their superpowers, but then also there's this fictional world that Jason Wingard manufactures. It's uh, like interesting you bring up Jason Wingard. He yes. seems to be back in the last couple pages, Will. Yes. Uh did you understand that? I did not. I did not understand. Mariko's getting ready for the wedding, and then somebody looks at her and zaps her in some way, shape, or form that makes her call off the wedding and everyone, everyone accepts that instantly. And as she's walking away, we see, I think Jason Wingard's chin watching. Yeah. It looks like Jason Wingard's chin. So couple, couple things in here and this, so it's at this kind of feels like the coda of the issue. Yes. Storm shows up and she has turned into a new look. She has like leather uh, vest outfit and a mohawk. It is amazing. Storm's look was so great. Like Dave Cockrum's Storm look was so good. It was not like a simple design, but it just worked in, in all ways, shapes, and forms. And it's crazy how good this costume also works. Yes, this this is the Storm that I think of first because this was Storm when I was kind of yeah. reading X Men, and she's this way for a while. But I'm always just amazed when it's like you redesign a character pretty significantly, and they both just seem iconic and cool and perfect in every way, shape and form. So it's like she said yeah. two amazingly great looks. Yeah. 
Um, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a testament to the original design. It's a testament to this redesign, which I assume Paul Smith did. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. So this is somehow addressing the emotional changes she's feeling and going through. Or it's going further with that. We don't know. We everything. don't know yet. Uh, Madeline Pryor is here and discovers that, that her boyfriend's friends are all superpowered and that there's a pet dragon in the mix. Yeah. She gets really freaked out by the dragon. And this is after she meets the alien with the laser sword. So, <laughs> but um, it's still a fun sequence to someone hands you a drag. Also, why would Kitty hand the dragon to Madeline? You got to know that's going to freak her out. It's, yeah, that's not fair. Hand the dragon to, you know, Nightcrawler or Colossus. Yeah. Hey, Cyclops, here's your girlfriend of three weeks. Let her hold my dragon. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that like Cyclops didn't tell everyone, hey, I'm bringing this girl who looks just like my uh, former girlfriend who died in front yeah. of us all. Yeah. Our former teammate. Um, he didn't mention this to anyone. Wow, give a <laughs> heads, heads up, man. Heads up. <laughs> I know we don't have cell phones and you can't send a quick text, but like, yeah, you, you call somebody. Even just call them into the room and say, look, before I bring her in here, uh, she seems to be a clone of Jean Grey. Yeah. Professor X is here now. So I guess maybe that's why Rogue is here. Well, he really has not helped out in any of the stuff that's gone on before this. Yeah, I mean, he maybe came on a later flight because we haven't seen him until now. Um. So Mariko is here for the wedding. Uh, she and Wolverine, uh, it's beautiful art. Mariko looks lovely and kind of cool in this Japanese wedding style. And then she just tells Wolverine the wedding's off. He is not worthy, she says to him. Yeah, she walks off. It's amazing that everyone just sort of buys that, like that she'd go this far. I mean, some of them don't know her that well, but it still seems incredibly insane for this to happen. Yeah, nobody even says, come again. Didn't we all just save your life? Like, uh, what do you mean not worthy? Like, and also Wolverine has been true to her in every way. Like, yeah, he has not faltered in his, he hasn't betrayed her in any sense. Right. We've seen him sort of do shady behavior and be out of control and reckless with lots of people, but he hasn't done that with Marika. There's no reason for this. Yeah. So that the fact that everyone accepts it is pretty harsh and, but it is really sad for Wolverine who doesn't, talks about how he never really saw himself getting married or anything like that. So he can't believe he's in this position. So he's sort of given himself over to this emotional side and to have, you know, his heart ripped out. Even his healing factor will <laughs> can't recover from a broken heart that quickly. Um, it was really sad. And uh, it's a really great issue. The, the rogue stuff, the wedding stuff. Um, you know, I, like I said, I've become acclimated that these X men issues are chaotic with a million stories going on, but they frequently dovetail into a just tremendously good issue. I think this is one of them. Yeah, I enjoyed all three of these regular issues. and The Dracula issue wasn't too bad. Uh, I mean, also, I think the Dracula issue has helped. Like when we read the last Dracula issue, it was paired with a bunch of other issues I didn't care for. Yeah. So it's sort of easier to read like one okay issue surrounded by three good issues yeah. than it is like four mediocre issues you start going eh, maybe this is a mediocre comic right um but these comics show like what makes the x-men good i mean the addition of rogue is a great addition huge what a great character it's a that cool power set it's a cool personality and having sort of a, a villain on the team yeah it's really good um i'm excited to read more how long have we been talking two hours uh-oh let's take a break 
So Kevin, Screw It Comics is sponsored by Shortboxed. Why don't you tell the people what that is? Shortboxed is an app and a website where people buy and sell graded comic books uh, that they've uploaded photos of and then you know, ship them to each other. Sort of like a, a, a very specialized uh, shopping network. I've already talked too much. Uh, no, you're doing great. And uh, what is uh, graded comic books? Graded comic books are when people send their comics to a third party. Mm-hmm. We take these comics and kind of judge the condition of the comic book. Is it is it folded? Is it ripped a little bit? Is it how faded are the colors? And then they kind of seal it in like sort of this hard plastic and send it mm-hmm. back with a grade on it uh, between like zero and 10. So 10 being like, oh, this comic is in perfect condition. It could not possibly be better. And one is, what did you do to this comic book? <laughs> what happened You're here? a monster, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Shortbox, their app has just been redesigned recently. So it's more intuitive and prettier. And they have giveaways where you can like enter contest to win graded comic books, sometimes signed, sometimes pretty old. I enter, I've entered a few and I've won zero. Hint, hint, short box. Let's rig it for your sponsees. Yeah, that there's no controversy there. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Shortboxed is great. We think you should download the Shortboxed app and check it out today. Or tomorrow, one of the two. And we are back. Uh, Kevin, let's go into the mailbags portion of our episode. We've got a ton of mail. We're not going to get through it all today, Will. Um, <laughs> so thanks, everyone, for emailing us. Uh, how did they do that, Will? How were they able to email us? Our email is screwitcomics at gmail. We have a Twitter account, screwitcomics, and an Instagram, screwitcomics. You can contact us any of those ways. But if you want us to read something on an episode, email us, screwitcomics at gmail. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the X-Men, Born Again, Daredevil Issues, or any comics that you're reading. Um, send us your casting requests, have us cast your movie and TV shows. We're, we're spectacularly bad at it. Tell us what to read. Um, tell us how our opinions are wrong or right. Um, yeah. What do you think, Kev? Uh, that's how that's that, everything you said is true. Did Chris Gethard send us an email? He did not. So let me just say right now for, uh, as our first mailbag, Gethard texted me <laughs> at the, an issue and I'm sorry. Um, when we were covering issue four of the dark night, okay. be, the beginning of that episode, we had a discussion over, you asked me rule of threes, mm-hmm. dark night watchmen. And what else, right? What, what might be the rule of threes for like huge changes in comics. And we were guessing things like teenage mutant Ninja turtles, mm-hmm. um, Sandman comics, even though it's a little later, I was sort of throwing love and rockets around. Gether texted me he, while he was listening to it. He's like, you guys didn't say mouse. Yes, uh, uh, we got a lot of emails suggesting mouse. Okay, so Gethard and our list, and once Gethard said, I was like, that that is foolish. That Gethard was laughing. He said it's funny because the th- we were saying like, you know, uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles, black and white, broke the superhero things, uh, transcended comic books, got respect uh, and attention outside of the normal audience, and he's like, mouse did all that and more. And I was like, yep, you know, you're absolutely right. He's right. I didn't, in my mind, I don't know if I knew when Mouse came out. I'm going to, here's my defense. When I was trying to think of rule of threes, I mean, I don't really have a good defense. We were just wrong. I was really thinking of our old comic shop, Outer Limits Comics, and picturing the shelves, what issues I had seen on it. Like I remember when I first saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the stands there. I remember when I saw Love and Rockets and Zot and Fish Police and stuff like that. But they never carried mouse or raw. Like that was too artsy for outer limits. 
I didn't see Mouse until I got to college a couple of years after it was out. Yeah, I looked into it. I, I don't have it up in front of me. I looked into when Mouse came out and or someone maybe mentioned in their email to me. Uh, it's right, it it's like right, around, right around then. It's like the 80. first volume was basically the same year. Yeah. Uh, and then the second volume was much later on. I don't, I don't, I certainly did not read it until the second volume was out. Um, so you kind of associate it with the nineties perhaps just in your yeah. own personal discovery of it. If somebody had told me like mouse came out after Sandman had started, I'd be like, okay, I, I have no concept of when mouse came out. I, I knew that it came out in the eighties or at least the first volume. And um, I, I, and felt I own it that it's, I hadn't thought of it. I own it. I've read it. I love it. It's one of the earlier non-superhero comics I read. Well, after Gethard texted me, I re-listened to the beginning of that episode, and it is hilarious that we don't mention Mouse. Like, we describe everything about Mouse without saying it. It's really funny. Yes, It's uh, almost Robert- like, can we think of a cartoon character based on a vermin, uh, maybe with an alliterative name, something based in California, something you could use to make theme parks, and we don't say Mickey Mouse, that kind of thing. Well, in our defense, Mouse is never in the news anymore. Yeah, it's not relevant. Uh, you know, people don't talk about it anymore. It doesn't come to- up. You and uh, Robert, I are on the school board of Tennessee. Uh, we are, yeah. <laughs> uh, we had to we had to ban some books recently to make more room for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> and Love and Rockets. So we're in some hot water over there. Uh, but yes, Robert Cooper emailed about Mouse. Jo- a guy named Joshua emailed us about Mouse. Our friend Eric Tenoy emailed us and mentioned Mouse. And some people yeah. on social media also said Mouse to us. And I I responded to each one of them saying wrong. <laughs> so not significant enough yeah Pul- pulitzer prize winning is not big enough yeah so we got a lot of those we've got a few other suggestions as well but uh, i mean it seems like the consensus even without Gether not emailing us is mouse i would agree but, i mean it's it's bigger than dark knight or watchman which we um yeah we're certainly as big and i think bigger. um like thomas franzen suggested he backed swamp thing uh we had um Somebody, uh, uh, Dean Craven's Last Hunt was sort of his pick. Yeah, we uh, mentioned that one. Dan Gelati said Camelot 3000, sort of as oh. an offbeat suggestion. Interesting. Yeah, Eric Tanoi also suggested kind of breaking out of the comic mold, just like things that like changed com- uh, comics was like Calvin and Hobbes or The Simpsons. Interesting. But I think those are just, we were thinking comic books, not... Right, right. Cartoons. Cartoons, yeah, in yeah. general. I mean... yeah. Calvin and Hobbes is part of the trio with Farside and Bloom County of. Yeah, that's right. I, I put them there. Well, that's like a trio of like three comics that were really great and all ended. Simpsons, I weirdly put with like, I know this is strange. And You're going to mention Fish Police for the fifth time. To <laughs> like kid, Kids in the Hall and Simpsons and like Mike Myers era SNL in my brain are all together <laughs> as a thing. They all kind of showed up at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Simpsons. Simpsons is like an SNL type of institution in that sense. Anyway, none of that's super relevant to what we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, but yes, so we got a lot of suggestions on that and we were wrong <laughs> is is the short answer, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Got an email a while back from Justin Bridge who emails us every now and then. We had talked about at some point, uh, we talked about during the Born Again stuff about Kingpin, you know, being a Daredevil villain, but initially being a Spider-Man villain. Right. And we sort of mused whether other people did that, like somebody who's like established as a villain of one character sort of being taken over by another hero. Yeah, we couldn't um, think of any really. Yeah, he brings up Cobra, who started off as a Thor villain, but 
is mostly associated with Captain America and Thanos, who I think maybe we mentioned, I don't remember. We started did mention Thanos. Iron Man villain, but now is more of like everyone villain or if you're going to go minimal, at least he's he's a cosmic villain. So like Silver Surfer or something like that. Yeah. He Justin goes on to say, given their proximity, it's nuts. Daredevil doesn't fight Spidey villains more often and vice versa. Uh, especially since both rogue galleries would be pretty fun to fight the other with. And then he kind of goes from there. At the, given the Sentinels and Reavers, it's odd Iron Man hasn't faced off against these X-Men villains. It's also weird that the Avengers haven't had to take on the Juggernaut. Thor has the same with the Hulk, but you think the whole team would have to take him on. And then he, we also talked a lot about Batman rogues, Flash rogues, and Spider-Man rogues. And so he talks a little bit about that. Just comparing Flash's rogues to Batman's rogues. I don't know that Batman's rogues would be a good fight for Flash. The Riddler, Clayface, Mad Hatter, Scarecrow might be fun for the Flash to take on. I'd add Mr. Freeze, but Motivation Society is not that different from Captain Cold. But the Flash's main rogues gallery would fit right in against Batman. Uh, and that's sort of true. Like Flash having super speed limits you to what kind of villains he can face. Yeah. Where Batman sort of is not limited at all. So here's a question for you and Will. What one hero's villains would you like to transfer to another hero's rogues galleries? I think maybe it would be fun to, I mean, to swap Spider-Man and Batman would be great because they kind of have the two best rogues galleries. Mm -hmm. So to see them switch off might be kind of fun. But um, I'm going to say let's switch Avengers and X-Men. Let's switch the two teams and see how they deal with stuff. Let's see Jason Wingard, you know, hypnotize the Scarlet Witch giving the Avengers kind of the more emotional, a lot of their the X-Men characters are more personal and emotional and give the Avengers more of these world beaters. Give the X-Men more of the world beaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give the X-Men yeah, yeah. more of these world beaters, yeah, these yeah. Ultrons and, and whatnot. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm trying to think who else would jump out at me in that sense. Again, like, it's just tough because like a lot of characters, villains don't, don't leap out to me. I'll tell you the funniest switch. Okay. Sandman's rogue gallery, which is barely a rogues gallery with Batman. Like Batman having to deal with a lot of imps and fairies and like <laughs> gods who are talking about stuff and him just trying to be all practical about it would be hilarious. Mm -hmm. Would get giving power packs villains to Batman as well. <laughs> See how he handles the boogeyman who's like a, a, a guy who like fired the power packs parents. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a good answer for this. So I'm just going to leave it with your answer. I think your answer is good. Okay. Fun question. Um, it is fun. Tony Labra sent us an email about Dracula in the Marvel comics. So I'm going to read a little bit of that. Uh, he agrees that he doesn't feel like Dracula is a great fit for Marvel comics, but he just talks a little bit about the history of it. The 1976 Doctor Strange Dracula mini event that started in Tomb of Dracula, number 44, written by Marv Wolfman and ended in Doctor Strange 14, written by Steve Englehart. Gentleman Gene Colan doing the art in both stories made for a very consistent mood and tone. And, and Gene's art was always so beautiful. I'll spoil it because I'm sure you may not get around to covering this gem of a crossover, but the good doctor triumphed in the end. <laughs> uh, another noteworthy Dracula appearance in a Marvel superhero book happened two years earlier in giant size Spider-Man number one. It was sort of forgettable except for the great John Romita senior cover. Uh, and then he talks about this annual we just read. So he's just talking about not Tomb of Dracula necessarily, but the Times Tomb of Dracula crossed over. over. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that, Tony. Uh, he's right. I probably won't get around to reading those, but I kind of wish, I wish I had more time to read everything. It'd be fun to read all that 70s stuff. Somebody named Brian Hines emailed us a question. Sounds weird. Brian Hines claims he's our younger brother. Okay. We do have uh, a younger he, brother named Brian Hines. So this does yeah, add up. It does check out. Uh, he starts his email. Hey, brothers. 
So he's committing to the to the deception. Yeah. I'm loving The Dark Knight Returns, and I have so many vivid memories of flipping through those books when Will bought them. I was going to email, email about them, but really it was just, I thought Superman looked cool. Uh, <laughs> so he asks this question. He asks us to rank, but I, I, we're just going to name a couple. Who are the most important non-heroes in comic book history? And I think he means superhero comic book history. Like James Gordon, sort of? Yes. So he, so he says his number one is Jonathan and Martha Kent are the most important non-heroes oh, ever. They raised Superman right. Yeah, they. That's uh, a he's, pretty, he specifies pretty good he's not talking about non-powered characters, but just like characters that are not superheroes. So, so there could know. be powered characters who are not superheroes? I mean, I guess, but I think he's more okay. like... Batman doesn't have powers, but he is a superhero. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that's really, that's a very savvy pick because like yeah. getting Superman right is everything, right? Like if they blow it, <laughs> that's yeah. bad news. Like if they're just yeah. like, go to your room, you piece of crap. You're not yeah. lovable and you never will be. Also, blame America. <laughs> yeah. If it one, if it like one time, they're just sort of like, it's not worth getting involved every time, Clark. Our message to you is mind your own business. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like if if we saw something happening, do you think our dad would be like, you should get involved if you can? Guys. He'd probably be like, let's no. just go home. Right. For sure. And then Superman turns out like us. He hosts a podcast. What a podcast. It would be a good podcast. It'd be a super podcast. <laughs> um, I would say Alfred's probably also way up there. Although I guess you can make the argument that the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's parents is more important. Sure. Uh, if you're of the belief that Batman would not exist in any way, shape or form without his parents dying, like, I don't know how you go that crazy. There's something else in that kid. There's a supernatural <laughs> bat that grabs onto him at some point. I, I think a lesser Batman without his parents dying in front of him. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, J. Jonah Jameson, I'm going to put on the list just because uh, he keeps Spider-Man's ego in check. <laughs> For sure. But he's <laughs> made the city hate him. Yes, I yeah. guess. <laughs> He's pretty influential. Jarvis cleans up after the Avengers. That's pretty important. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to name uh, non-superhero I mean, characters. Lucius Fox giving the technology to Bruce Wayne is is pretty mm -hmm. pretty crucial. But I'm trying to think of somebody who, like, you know, through sacrifice or something, like helped a hero. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Stick and Daredevil. Yeah, I mean, if Stick counts as a non-superhero, he's a ninja, so he almost feels like he's a hero or a superpowered character. But I don't know. It's, it's arbitrary, if any rate. I mean, is Uncle Ben on the list just for like dying <laughs> and and raising Peter and saying one influential quote? <laughs> um, I don't know because I think without Uncle Ben, which he, which he Aunt, doesn't even say in the comics, right? I, I think even without Uncle Ben, Aunt May still would do that for Spider. Like he just needs one or the other, Aunt May or mm -hmm. Uncle Ben. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be tough to beat Jonathan and Martha Kent because who's even as powerful as Superman? Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm not, I'm just saying, like, who are important characters more than ranking them? Because um, I can't, I'm not going to try to beat The Watcher. No. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Marvel's really powerful. Like, who, how about Martian Manhunter? How come the Martian Manhunter is a good person? I'm just thinking he's of a, Superman level powers. Uh, Martian Manhunter, I don't know why he's a good person, but he's on Earth because of like some scientist's experiment that accidentally brought him here and then that scientist died. <laughs> Well, that guy might have, that guy did us a solid. Whoever shot down Green Lantern, the Green Lantern ship that crashed on Earth to give the ring to Hal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his parents are going to be up there in the list, right? In general. Parents. Yeah. Wonder Woman's mom is probably up in the list unless she gets, you know, she's got power. So I don't know if she counts. Yeah. 
She's funny we're going D- it's funny we're going DC more than Marvel for these. Yeah, I mean, the DC characters are more powerful. And once you lay down the gauntlet, they, they have to be as powerful as Superman. You know, like Captain America doesn't, you know, Erskine's serum doesn't necessarily do it for me. I guess if we're going to do Marvel, you could say that the Fantastic Four are like the the model citizen superheroes mm-hmm. that for a long time in the Marvel Universe, everybody looked up to them. So whoever's responsible for making them a good team, but I guess that would be Reed, right? That's not really anybody outside of the FF. Oh, that's, a, that's a fun question. Yeah. Who's the guy who didn't push the button to, to uh, stop the countdown the, to make the Hulk? Yeah. Uh, was it the Gargoyle? Yeah, yes, that was the gargoyle, or he worked for the gargoyle. He was either it was the gargoyle or worked for the gargoyle. Yeah. But he was a, like a Russian agent or whatever that like... He made the Hulk. He made the he made most the powerful being in the Marvel Universe, basically. Yeah. Way to go, dude. Here, we got an email from... Let me read the rest of Eric Tanoi's email because we talked a little bit about his... Oh, no. Uh, we talk, we, I talked a little bit about his. He also... <laughs> I forgot. Other than Calvin and Simpsons, Eric Tanoi also suggested the Chernobyl meltdown. <laughs> Um, maybe getting a little too hung up on 1986. Yeah. I mean, the Challenger uh, exploded that year too, I think. Maybe that was 85. Here's an email from Paul who defends the brood to me. Well, all right. I've always really liked it. The burn run is still peak for me, but I like the brood saga, the brood saga's wild cosmic excesses and Wolverine alone against the brood feels like a fun heightening of earlier Wolverine focused stories. I've read it a few times now and I've never been bored. Uh, you often see the storyline in lists of the best ever X-Men stories. So I tend to think Kevin's opinion is in the minority. Ouch. Uh, but that kind of outside the box thinking is one of the things that makes screw it. One of the best podcasts on the rack each week. Oh, came <laughs> around on me. Uh, I'm sure this has been requested before, but with the news that there will be a new limited printing of JLA slash Avengers. I was wondering if you'd consider covering it on the pod. Only four issues though dense Lots of opportunities to compare and contrast Marvel and DC, and of course, tons and tons of George Perez artwork. I think it would be a fun miniseries. Looking forward to Born Again, Paul. Uh, I, I mean, I love that mini. Um, Kurt Busaic wrote it. George Perez drew it, and it's um, it is dense, man. It is a dense, cool comic. Yeah. Um, good wreck. Oh, here's one directed at you, Will. I hope you're ready for this. Ooh. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the podcast is when Kevin mentions his son's shared interest in comics and superheroes. Usually Will has a lot to say about things, but when Kevin's son is brought up, he's quiet. My question is, does Will know that he has a nephew and is he allowed to comment on his nephew's interests? Um, did I you know. know that, did you I know did you have a nephew? A, that's a real person you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He's my son. You've met him a few times. He's a big fan of yours. That guy's your son? Yeah. 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 I thought that was just some friend of yours. No, he's five. I don't have five-year-old friends. I just thought you were palling around with someone you felt like emotionally equal to. Mm, I mean, that might be true. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't realize that I was quiet during that. I might just try. To be I don't know tra- if that's 100% true. Uh, and it's it's clearly a joke of a question. But I get like sort of, the, uh, I'll answer an accusation that's not really being made. But like, I have this other Beatles podcast and People often say, you guys interrupt each other too much. And part of my... Let me interrupt you for a second. Fine. That's my favorite part of those podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. Just a bit, any. everybody. I listen Just to the ones in... Um, Abbey Road? Abbey Road. Oh, th- those are our least popular episodes. Thanks well, for listening to those. I listen to all of those. All three? Three, that's right. So sometimes after after reading one of those like criticisms, I will temporarily be 
made timid and trying not to interrupt. Um, I'm sure that I'm always unsuccessful at it, but I'll, I'll go through periods where I'm trying to be good. Well, you really gave yourself a reputation of not loving your nephew. Who? Oh boy. Um, let's do two more and we'll save the rest for later. I think. Okay. This one's interesting because uh, I, I didn't know this. So this is from uh, Farrell is uh, the name. This is in response. We talked about Corto Maltese, which is the country from the Dark Knight Returns. Well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was also in the recent The Suicide Squad movie. Yes. Uh, your podcast gave me the opportunity to reread The Dark Knight Returns for the first time since 2003 or so. I was interested to note that Miller named the fictional island used as a proxy for nuclear shenanigans, Corto Maltese. Uh, reading The Dark Knight Returns as a youth, I'd never heard of Hugo Pratt or his classic adventure comic, Corto Maltese. By the time by the time James Gunn used the same island as the setting for much of the action in The Suicide Squad, however, I devour much of the series. I sing its praises to anyone who will listen at any opportunity, and I'm now doing so here. I've attached three panels that make absolutely no sense out of context. <laughs> uh, fortunately, IDW brought out an English language translation of the 12 Maltese books in the mid 2010s. Unfortunately, they seem to be out of print again, though some can still be purchased at retail prices. And last I checked, they weren't available in digital format. Two questions. Have either of you read the Corto Maltese books? Two, uh, is Corto Maltese, the island, used in other DC properties as a play setting, or was it merely an Easter egg that Miller and Gunn dropped? I realize I could Google this myself, but who has the time to do that when there are podcasts to email? Until Kevin realizes the Brood Saga is good. Ouch. Actually, <laughs> make mine milk sop. Have you ever heard of Corto Maltese? Never. I I haven't, but like him saying this and he posts the panels, I'm like, I'm sure I've seen like glimpses of it in like things. I just have never looked deeper into it or like I follow a lot of things on Twitter that would probably post panels from such a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about it. I, I read very briefly up on it when I got this email. For sure, Frank Miller was referencing this. It's the exact same name. Yeah. And it's an influential artist. I don't know if other, I don't know if James Gunn was using it because of Dark Knight Returns or of both. Uh, I would assume that just the Dark Knight Returns, but maybe he's also familiar with the strip. Um, but thank you for schooling us on that. Uh, and that the images are great. The art is fantastic in this. It is used again in DC. I think not very often. Okay. Um, I haven't, I, I, I remember when, when I heard Corto Maltese in the Suicide Squad, I looked into it. You know, it's in something else. It may have been in like a Suicide Squad comic or, or something, or maybe a Justice League International comic. He used fictional countries a lot. Um, but I think it definitely shows up like in a Batman story at some point and maybe something else, but it's not used a ton. So thank you for that. Uh, let's end on this one. Um, okay. This is from a, f- a frequent uh, reader, Mark D, a frequent writer, I guess is what I would say. Mark D, uh, have you thought about trying a few issues of the new Teen Titans series from the 1980s? I think it would make a worthy compliment to your X-Men issues. The original series by Marv Wolfman and George Perez was the team book I read instead of getting to X-Men back in the day. And we recently figured out that the title was created by C more or less specifically to duplicate the success of the X-Men. So it'd be interesting to contrast the DC team to the Marvel team that inspired it. Just a thought, Mark D. Thoughts, I think I've, I've never read it too much. I was always intrigued by the new Teen Titans and the... The previous Teen Titans. I mean, I always liked the idea of all the sidekicks getting together. That was more the original, yeah. the original idea. I'd always heard it was good, and I know that Marv Wolfman in generally did really good stuff. So, like, I bet you it's, I bet you it's cool. It's, it's also kind of fun to read 
the second place version of something like mm-hmm. sometimes there's more freedom in that role. Like sure, yeah. Claremont was shouldering the market share of Marvel pretty soon, but there might've been some freedom and room for some, I don't know, not that Claremont looks restrained in any way, but yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd Titans, you read Titans, them, didn't you? New Teen Titans never got as big as X-Men, but it was pretty big for DC. For DC. I think it was uh, one of a few titles that sort of like, aged up the entire line to be like just written better. Okay. Um, I did. I recently read like the first five or six issues of it. I briefly had the DC library app. Um, I don't have it currently. I'm not subscribed currently. Um, And while I had it, I read the first five or six issues of new teen Titans. And the first issue, the first appearance of them was like uh, an insert in another comic. It was like DC comics presents or something. I forget what it was. It was like another story, like a green lantern story. And then it had this new teens Titan story in the middle. And then like finished the green lantern story. And so I read that first. And I also read the story around it and the new teen Titans was so much better than the story. It was like inserted into that. I'm like, Oh yeah. If, if this other comic is like the average DC comic, new teen Titans would have been just a burst of excitement. Oh, wow. It was so, so much better. I mean, some of that was just Perez's art, but yeah. it was just it was just written better. It was cooler. It was faster. It just felt more exciting. Uh, and then I read the next few issues. And it was good. It wasn't like, I, it's probably very comparable to the early Claremont X-Men comics where it's like, oh, it's good. And you can sort of see what it, well, the great that it's going to reach, but it hadn't gotten there yet. Because yeah. um, I didn't keep reading beyond that. And I've also read the, um, the big uh, um, Deathstroke story that they do later on with Tara. What was that called? Um, uh, the Janus? No. I'm gonna use old Google and see if I can see that. I, I mean, can... it's it's a very famous. The Judas Contract. Yes, that's it. Okay. I almost said that. I said Janus. I was so close. Very close. Uh, the Judas Contract. Yeah, I've read that as well, and that's really good. Even reading that, like, sort of in isolation, not having read the comics around it, it's really good. Maybe I'll read that. I'm a big fan of Robin. So, you know, yes, the leader huge, of that I would team. say a huge fan of Robin. I would say a lifelong passionate fan of Robin. Um, probably mostly from the Adam West TV show. He just like, he seemed like a cool character in the cartoons and stuff. Cause I remember reading new Titans late, late new Titans and not liking it. And I tried okay. it two or three times to get into it. I read near the very end of Marv Wolfman's run. And then like when other people would write it later on, cause I was like, Oh, Nightwing is the leader of this team. I like this character. And then I would read it and be like, I don't like this comic. I don't like this comic. And I don't know why I was such a fan of Nightwing when I'd never read many comics with him that I liked, but I was drawn to You like to the him. idea of him, I guess. Yeah. And eventually but they made I, good series. With I, I love the idea of Nightwing too. Like Robin and then breaking out into his own identity. There's something really appealing about it. And then the ongoing fraternal relationship of Batman and Nightwing is also really cool. Yeah. And Nightwing and sort of the Robins is really fun. Like him being the first one sort of mentoring all the other Robins is fun. He's become a really, really fun character. I think weirdly he lives up to his potential now that he's currently doing, they're doing a crossover with him and Superman's son who's a character. Okay. It's really fun. Nightwing is basically just like trying his mentoring Superman's son a little bit while Superman is off planet. And it's just like really cool. They just have each other's backs and it's really fun and beautifully drawn. And it's just one of those comics which is like, oh yeah, this reminds me of another reason why I just love Nightwing so much. He's like everyone's friend in yeah. the DC universe. He had like the iciest, coldest dad. Mm-hmm. And then he himself is a warm dad to other people. He seems, seems. so well adjusted for someone whose parents died in front of him. Yeah. And then was raised by an insane vigilante. Yeah. He humanizes Batman so nicely, right? Like it's, I, you know, whenever you read anything, even just like a casual history of the character of Batman, everybody mentions the introduction of Robin. 
boosted the sales significantly. Um, you know, for, for every story of like sidekicks being dated or a bad idea or a thing you don't need to have happen, the counter argument is Batman needed Robin. Like it just worked better with Robin. It's mind boggling to me that he's been in so few movies. There's been so many Batman movies. He's such a key part of the dynamic. I mean, even and the he, dynamic duo, like he, it's and he's weird. Been in like one and a half of the movies and not, and they were well, the bad right? ones. He was in the bad ones. He's never been done well. And it just feels like they keep redoing Batman movies. I haven't seen the Batman yet. I hear it's good from you. Uh, I really loved it. And you know what? It's growing on me. The more I'm going to go see it again. Maybe I'll change my mind. But, uh, um, but I, I just like the idea of like, if you're going to like do a new Batman movie, you wouldn't be like, well, it'd be different if I did one with Robin. <laughs> Yeah. But nobody does that. They're just like, it's very interesting to me. Anyway, uh, way off topic. Yeah. New Teen Titans. We should, it'd be cool to cover it. I don't know if we will. It's or also when a we good will. way to get over to DC. Like we do so much Marvel. That'd be kind of nice to balance. Even if we just did like um, a smattering of it. Yeah. Good rec. Uh, we've got lots more emails. We'll cover those in two weeks and any other emails we get. Um, so if I haven't answered your email yet, I'm, I'm, I'll try to get to it. Also, we got more trivia questions from Keith. Maybe we'll do that next time. We could also just do a whole mailbag episode. Never. To catch no one up. would listen. No one would listen to it. Well. I don't think that's true. No we could one do, would we listen could do to one. it. We could do one and catch up. No one would listen. Everyone would be like, no X-Men talk. <laughs> um, where's Kevin hating on the brood? Yeah, that's um, that's what sells our emails. <laughs> They're so mad at me for hating the brood, they have to listen to the second half. Um, all right, everybody. Well, um, the reason we're not talking about the movie The Batman is Kevin hasn't seen it yet. So um, maybe when Kevin sees it, whenever that is, we'll talk about it. Yeah, or we can do an episode where just you talk and I cover my ears the whole time. We could bring on fictional brother Brian Hines. He's seen it. Yeah, he's seen it. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next episode. Bye. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer Riley Bray, we make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with drills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're You're here to to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.